You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on clean, now looking at the garrison demoniac. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Welcome back. You're listening to the second podcast on exorcisms in the Bible in the series Clean. This is podcast 14, doubling as New Testament character study 58 on the Gerasene demoniac. You'll find this account also in Matthew's gospel. We're going to use Mark's account in Mark 5. We read, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a picture of a man with a life out of control. In our previous podcast on Mary Magdalene, we found a woman who at one point had seven demons in her. Perhaps she too had a life that was out of control. Again, I lament that we don't have more uh, to work with on her. This man, though, had a number of specific behaviors that the gospel writers tell us about. His superhuman strength allowed him to break his chains. Now, we pray for God to break break our chains, the chains that, had a, that have hold of us. This is a little bit different. These are chains that the townspeople put on him because he was a menace to himself and to others. He was up at all hours, screaming, wailing, engaged in, in uh, making himself bleed like a frenzied worshiper of Baal on Mount Carmel. A life out of control. It's easy to spiritualize the story. That is, let's think of self-destruct behaviors we may take part in, And probably that's appropriate in this instance. It it seems to invite us into that that mode of reading it. Self-destruction. What self-destructive behaviors characterize us before we were Christians? Are there any such behaviors still in our lives that need to be brought into subjection to Christ? Maybe it surrounds eating. Maybe you have self-destructive patterns when it comes to um, your emotions the way you view other people. Maybe it's imagining people think something of you they don't. Maybe there's envy or jealousy. Maybe it centers around alcohol and you need to break clean from that. Maybe it has to do with something sexual. You you self-destructively watch pornography or engage in unclean acts and you know you'll feel lousy, but you do it anyway. You've given up hope. You dropped your standard years ago and you're trapped by that. Maybe you're trapped just by an idle, sedentary lifestyle. You don't get out, you don't do a lot, and every year you're putting on another five or ten pounds. Surely ambassadors of Christ will be given the power needed to overcome all these kinds of things, to represent God, and to be examples of the freedom of the Spirit. So we see a man who is self-destructive, and he's stronger than anyone who's trying to help him. In other words, He actually is in a desperate situation. There's nothing that can be done, 
but there is one who is stronger than he is, and that person has not yet approached him. But look at what happens in the next verse. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out to the man, you unclean spirit. Notice how this man, or shall we say the spirit in him, knows who Jesus is. He has some supernatural knowledge. This is not just the man. This is bigger than that man. There's the expectation that evil spirits will be tormented, that they'll be uh, punished by, by God. And notice the kind of contradictory posture. The fellow sees Jesus and runs up to him and falls down before him in the same position one would do who was asking his blessing or someone who didn't feel worthy. And we see often uh, people will be on their knees, uh, prostrated even before God, before Christ. And he cries out with a loud voice. I mean, whose benefit was that for? He's right in front of Jesus. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then he doesn't want him to torture him. In a way, he's saying, get away from me, even while he's coming towards him. He hates Jesus, but he could love him. He's attracted and repulsed. Such contradictions we see in this man's behavior. We continue. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And when Jesus gets the name, of the demon or demons, then Jesus has a handle on that malevolent power. The name is a kind of handle, and this fellow has a most unusual name. In the Greek New Testament, legion means legion, as in a Roman military division. 5,000, 6,000, I mean, a legion, uh, even in the Latin, in Rome. Legion is legio. So this is a political word. It's a military word. His name is legion, and there are political implications we'll come to soon enough. Continuing the account, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I should mention this just in case you didn't get the memo. This is not a Jewish territory. I, I remember being taught as a young Christian, the reason the townspeople react negatively is that they're They're Jews with guilty consciences. They shouldn't be raising pigs. And here they are. It's not at all the case. This is outside the borders of Israel. This is a Gentile area. And for them, pigs were not unclean. Uh, They enjoyed eating pigs and dogs and donkeys and other things, camels. So that's just not the case. But there are all these pigs. And the demons are given permission to exit this poor man, we'll call him Legion, and to go there. Now, Jesus permits them. It's not quite the same as Jesus willing the death of the pigs. You know, God permits dictators to ravage their countries. You know, they won't step down. 
from power. God doesn't force them out necessarily. And yet even though God permits that, it doesn't mean he causes it directly. He's not guilty. Jesus is not guilty of uh, porcicide or whatever the, the, uh, the crime of, of killing swine would be. And so Jesus gives permission. The spirits come out. And of course, that frees the man. We continue. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. I mean, this guy is totally normal now. You would think that he would be a credit and a boon to society, uh, they really want nothing to do with Christ. And then they beg Jesus to leave. You get the feeling they would be happy if this guy left too. They're just not very pleased. But what a transformation. Instead of hurting himself, instead of losing all control, he's seated. See, he's, he is able to control himself now. He's able to be seated. He's not restless. He's at peace. He's clothed, not naked like before. He's in his right mind, not in his wrong mind or in 2,000 minds or 5,000 minds or whatever it is. It's a remarkable transition, remarkable in so many ways. Let me add one other thing you may not have thought of. Well, who is it who had possessed Israel? We know that the demons possessed this fellow. But who, who had taken possession of Israel and needed to be driven out? Well, at least in the minds of the zealots, you know, the, the radicals. Well, it was Rome, the Roman legions. This is a thinly veiled reference to the Roman army. They had taken possession. They had taken possession. They were inside. They had no business being inside Israel any more than the, the demons had business being inside legion. How would they be driven out? By violence? No, Jesus said all those who draw the sword will perish by the sword. Put your sword away. Will they be driven out through legislation and political activity? No. The kind of transformation Jesus is all about is something very different. Yes, the legions are driven out, and that brings peace and stability to the area. But it's not through politics or warfare. The legions of demons are driven out. It's the spiritual transformation. It's change on an individual personal level that God is all about. People leaving the dominion of darkness, being transferred into the kingdom of the Son he loves, person by person. That's how God's kingdom grows, person by person. One more paragraph. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, we still don't really know what his name is. I mean, surely it wasn't Legion originally. (laughs) But it just says, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What an amazing account. It's a great story for a group Bible discussion. It's a great passage just to reflect on as we begin our day with the Lord. It's quite natural that When we become Christians, we want our friends and family to know. When I became a Christian, even in the days before I became a Christian, I figured this out. 
I was writing a list of people I needed to talk to. I needed to share with my friends and family. It's a natural thing. Cornelius in Acts 10.24 has his friends and family gathered as they expect Peter to give them the rest of the pieces of the puzzle. You know, they want to learn the truth. Jesus tells him to go to his friends. I think probably the guy would have anyway. But interestingly, um, our friend has a little bit of a different agenda. He wants to go and talk to large numbers of people. So he goes into the Decapolis. So they're by the Sea of Galilee. He wants to go into the Decapolis. That's a region. Uh, Decapolis is Greek for 10 cities. It's a region of 10 cities. Um, the capital of Decapolis was Scythopolis, or in the Old Testament, it's called Bethshean. And so he goes into the Decapolis. I, we don't know whether he went into one city or more than one. It's certainly uh, highly speculative to say that he evangelized 10 cities. That's just the name of the place. Um, the area is called the Decapolis. So he goes there and it spreads. I mean, it furthers the gospel in a way. See, this is not Israel. This is not an action unlike the, think of the leper back in, in Mark chapter one. It's not a, an action that would have uh, brought the authorities too close too quickly and kind of uh, impeded Jesus's ministry because this is Gentile territory. And then the gospels, we repeatedly see those in Gentile territory are, are receptive to Jesus, sometimes more than the Jews. Now in this picture, not so, because um, the possessed guy is positive, thanks to Jesus, but everyone else wants him to get out of there. So be careful about you know, sweeping generalizations. Our man becomes an evangelist. He's freed. He's cleansed. He's pure. He becomes a proclaimer. So does everyone freed from bondage to Satan. That includes you and me. If we're not proclaiming, either we've forgotten we've been cleansed, think of that verse in 2 Peter 1, or, Lord forbid, we're losing our freedom and the evil one is starting to reclaim us. Let that not happen. What a wonderful story to picture the new beginnings, the fresh start, what we can be when we're cleansed, when we're grateful, when we embrace Jesus on his terms. What a great story. Think about that as you go throughout your day. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on clean. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.